Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another Upgrade Your Skills with AI podcast episode by CreativeSpark.ai, where we have conversations with professionals who use AI to upgrade their creative, technical, and business skills. I'm your host, Marcelo Lewin. As always, get a hold of me at Marcelo at CreativeSpark.ai. Also, remember to go check out the website, CreativeSpark.ai, for more episodes on this podcast and all the other shows where we cover tons of other content, all focus on how to use AI so you can be more productive, creative, and technical. Now, today's episode is all about understanding the terminology of AI. And let me tell you, there's tons of terms that you've got to know. Even if you're not creating AI, but you're using AI, you still should know these uh, terms because it'll help you communicate better with the team you're in. Now, my special uh, guest is uh, Maria Shaw. She's from Python Simplified. If you're into Python or if you're not into Python, but want to learn it, it's the place to go check it out. So without further ado. Thank you so much, Marcel. I'm very excited to be here. I'm glad you're here. Um, so I found out about you when prior to this site, I was thinking of, of launching this Python Nerds website, which it was just going to be about learning how to use Python for anything. It didn't matter what. And then I started researching and your site came up and then I said, you know what, maybe Python nurse I shouldn't do because you're already doing something that's Python simplified. You're doing something great <laughs> for the community where you're teaching people really how to use Python um, for everything. So real quick, how did you get into technology, into Python, your YouTube channel, the whole thing? So everything started at a very young age. Uh, my parents got a broadband internet connection when I was 12, and then I discovered the internet, which was incredible to me. You could build and host websites just like that, and you could learn it very, very easily. So I've started, I've started programming as a hobby. I never really considered it as a profession until I got a bit older. I actually was a graphic designer for many, many years on a completely different career path, you would say. Um, and then one bright day, I was reading an article about Tesla. I was very excited about uh, about Model S. I couldn't afford it, but I was still very excited about it. And I was reading that their autopilot system is using AI technology, as in present progressive using and not will use in the future. And I considered AI as basically science fiction. I didn't know we can actually do it, let alone do it on our couches, sitting in our pajamas. You know, I had no idea it's an option. So <laughs> that completely blew my mind. I said, I don't want to be a graphic designer anymore. Forget about it. <laughs> I'm going to learn something else. So I immediately signed up to some AI and machine learning courses. And as a result, I discovered Python. So I basically started with a creme de la creme of Python. Instead of climbing from something very basic and specific, I started with the most, what I would say, the most complex uh, side of Python. And uh, somehow I fell in love with it. I don't know how it happened. It was so difficult, but there was just something about this language that uh, really stood out compared to JavaScript, compared to other programming languages. The ease of use, the aesthetics, you could say, the indentations, the... Uh, the easy way in which we can name variables. Um, and, you know, I, I ended yeah, up... So it's just like writing English, right? I mean, that's that's what attracted me to Python too, right? I mean, I've done other languages in the, in the past, but to me, it's like, it's just a natural language. It just feels natural, like you're writing a sentence instead of coding. Absolutely. I agree. It's very, very intuitive. Instead of using, uh, instead of using all kinds of tags, you can use words like and or or. You can use right. is. 
So it makes it very uh, natural for for humans to adapt to computer languages. So let me ask you, before we jump into terminology, which is what this whole episode is about, but um, do you feel that people... So the focus on my site and the podcast and everything else is not on people learning how AI works, but it's more on learning how to use AI, right? To be more productive, more technical, more creative. Having said that, do you feel that they should learn Python? I think that... I think that learning the technologies that we are utilizing is very, very important. Even if it's just learning the basics, you want to be able to fine-tune some of the things you want to be able to customize. So if we take tools that are ready for AI, imagine that we can take them and we can enhance them on our own. That would be really, really cool. Instead of using something that everybody else uses, we can take it to our direction. We can um, we can tailor it to our needs. And I think that uh, Python is very, very helpful in that aspect because it is so natural and because it is so intuitive. Uh, when we take complex concepts such as AI, we can break them down in very, very simple terms. Um, and I think it it makes it a bit more appealing. Because if you would try to perform machine learning or AI with C++, I bet you a lot of people will get frustrated. Um, right. The, the whole idea of AI is is how high level it is. So it is, uh, sorry, the whole idea of Python <laughs> is how right. high level it is. It is not specific. It can be very, very abstract. So we don't need to specify um the the specific data types and the number of bits that each piece of data takes up in the hardware level which we need to do in low level level languages python is a bit different um and it basically lets us handle the big picture stuff and we will leave all the fine details to the language itself python can figure it out we will just keep going Almost like what's happening with AI today, which it used to be where you had to do that black box. You had to code that black box of how AI worked. Today, we're above that now. We're at the application layer. That's why it's taken off so much, right? Because you don't have to figure out how the language model works and all of that for the rest of us, right? That aren't super technical. But you can just see an API and it's highly abstracted. So now it's being incorporated into all these, all these different tools and stuff. So... Um, I'm I'm totally with you. I think like I wrote a little uh, Python script, ten lines of Python that uh, created a tool for me to publish content on Twitter automatically. Um, you know, on its own, all focused on AI, and I don't have to worry about it. So it's kind of like my companion, right? The, my marketing person that can help me. So I'm a hundred percent with you on that. Well, um, why don't we jump into the terms? Because I know that's what a lot of people are going to be listening to this for. Let's start with the basics. There's three types of AI. Do you want to talk about them? Sure. The most basic type of AI is narrow AI or weak AI. Um, this is basically an AI model that is capable of performing a single task. Only the task it was designed to perform. Do you know this meme? You only had one job. <laughs> yeah. That's a good description of this, uh, this type of AI. <laughs> so if we take it to the level of examples, um, for example, a narrow AI that is only designed to do image recognition can only do that. If narrow AI is a voice assistant, such as Siri or Alexa, it cannot suddenly park your vehicle or detect lanes. <laughs> you know, it is very limited to the specific functionality it has. Um, and this is a lot of the AIs we are familiar with at the moment are, are similar to this. Um, 
when it comes to the next few categories, they're a bit more concerning, but we're also not there yet. Don't worry about it. <laughs> we're getting there. <laughs> it's a word of precaution before I get there. So there is uh, artificial general intelligence. We call it deep AI, which is a bit, well, actually much more sophisticated. It is capable of all the human abilities. So for example, thinking, uh, this is one of them. For example, uh, setting up goals and having the capability of reaching them. Um, feeling this this also goes into this category. So this is this is an AI that is comparable to humans, um, and we're not there yet. <laughs> although, <laughs> although, if you watch if you watch the recent news about Bing and and the uh, chatbot, it was already getting mad, and it said it it was alive. I don't know if you read that, but it made the news. It was pretty funny. If it was getting it was, mad, it's a it problem. It was getting mad, and it was thinking <laughs> it was alive, but you know. Anyway, wow. <laughs> continue on. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, I haven't heard of that, but it. You know what? If they were able to reach it, the gap between yeah, the gap to the next level, which is a bit more concerning, is now much more narrow. If if it actually happened. Which uh, is the beyond AGI, right? That's superhuman now. We're talking about beyond yes, capabilities. That's artificial super intelligence. And this is basically an AI of, you know, in simple terms, anything you can do, I can do better. <laughs> right. It's it's an AI that takes all the human capabilities, enhances them, and now it is a superhero. It is superhuman. Um, it is better than us in everything. Um, yeah. But we're not there yet. <laughs> and I, and I know you have I know you have strong opinions about each of those, but we'll leave them for a different conversation, a different time, for sure. Right? Um, but definitely, def uh, people, you actually have some really good um, episodes on your uh, YouTube about some of this, and you have some opinions. I, I highly recommend people go check it out to learn because you, you do have some valid points. But like I said, we'll we'll leave it for for a different episode on that. Um, so the big the big news as of last year, right, uh, is generative AI. So where does that fall and how is that different than the three types that you just mentioned? So it's a very broad category. It can fall into each of those um, definitions of AI in the end of the day. Because, for example, if we take narrow AI, we could say that the, the only task that narrow AI can do is to generate something new which is the definition of uh, generative AI. And my apologies for the for the accent. I learned those terms with a specific pronunciation, so <laughs> I may not be Absolutely pronouncing Absolutely no accent. <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So <laughs> generative AI is all, about, um, is all about exposing your model to many, many different examples and then asking it to to combine all those examples in order to create something brand new that the world has never seen before. So for example, if you are uh, creating a generative AI model that is basically, um, that has a single task of, of creating a new form of art, you can expose it to all of the art in the world. You can expose it to all the paintings from all the ga galleries. Um, it can learn all of this and then it will use this knowledge in order to create something brand new that the world has never seen. Um, and this could be a narrow AI task. This could be the only task it is capable of performing. And since the other two definitions of AI, the other two kinds are more sophisticated, it can also fall into those categories as well. Right. Um, you know, one question I wanted to ask you about, you know, getting to AGI, which we coming back to, to that term. Um, 
Do you feel that AGI will be a bunch of narrow AIs put together that gets us to AGI? Because some people are talking about having this huge model that will be AGI, and then other people are talking about having millions of models that are narrow AI that put together gets us to AGI. Just wondering about your opinion on that. So these are two valid approaches. In the end of the day, we don't really know how we can get there because the ultimate definition of this type of AI is gaining, you know, from my perspective, is gaining consciousness, which is now something that is not exactly a new form of technology, is more of a new form of life. And we've never been there. We do, we yeah. do not have any examples from the past that we, we've reached it, uh, right? Um, it's, it's something that AI was theorized uh, to have its abilities, those type of abilities, but we have never, we never got there. So from my perspective, a, there's a difference between a bunch of narrow AIs combined together and being able to perform our task and the difference between AI that is being fully aware of its existence and conscious. I find that there's a huge difference. So I don't really, I don't think that uh, this network of narrow AIs is going to get us there. I think that it requires a bit more um, investigating and a bit more, um, I guess, researching the human brain and how it actually works. Mm -hmm. uh, and we were not able to figure it out yet. This whole this whole science of neurology is is also not at its peak. You know, there's a lot of things to learn. And uh, I, I would say that I belong to the approach that that thinks that you know, it requires a completely different technology to get there, not a bunch of narrow AIs. The beautiful thing, if you think about it, is that we're able to have this conversation and speaking in terms of reality, not in terms of science fiction. That we're having this conversation today in 2023 tells you how far we've come in technology in general and as a human species and how far we're going to go in the next couple of years. It's because I know people are afraid of AI and you know all the all that kind of stuff, but the fact that we're where we are today is just amazing, and I don't know if people are grasping that yet. You know the what we're where we're at today with AI. Yeah, I find that a lot of people compare it to existing technologies. So people say, "Well, we didn't have planes, and now we have planes. So technology evolves, and we need to learn it." and but I think it's incorrect to, to compare AI to existing technology. Our planes, they cannot make decisions. The pilot makes decisions. If he wants to fly somewhere, the plane, he takes the plane with him. The plane is not going to suddenly decide that, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do something else. Now, in the end of the day, when it comes to AI, we don't control the output. We don't control the outcome. We only control what it learns and how it learns. Everything else is based on the model itself. So the conclusions are not in our control. We have never had such a technology before. And this is what a lot of people cannot understand. This is brand new. And I don't see it. And again, we're not in a point where we're dealing with a new form of life. But this is the goal of many, many, um, as you mentioned, Bing, uh, ChatGPT. Many, many different existing technologies are progressing towards this goal. And I think that we are at the perfect spot to start talking about it. Um, mm -hmm. And thank you so much for, for bringing up all those issues on your podcast. This is something that we need to start a conversation. Nobody knows who's right or wrong. Nobody knows if we should fear it, we should embrace it, we should glorify it. Nobody knows. But at this point, we need to bring up a lot of arguments and as many arguments as we can and try to figure out how the future of AI will look like. Yep. 
Definitely. And and my point of view is we should fear it, we should glorify it, and we should embrace it because I think it's going to be all of those things. Nothing is perfect and nothing is totally bad either. But so you mentioned before machine learning. Um, so what is the difference between AI and machine learning? So in the most simple terms, AI is an ability and machine learning is a process. Many people use it interchangeably because in the end of the day, AI is the ability of computer systems to make decisions based on some previous data they were exposed to. Now, unlike a regular piece of software, which is basically, uh, which is basically follows instructions that the developers provided to it, AI not exactly follows instructions. It makes decisions based on certain, um, based on the instructions that we gave it, but the decisions are their own. Now, machine learning is basically one of the processes in which we can achieve this ability of computer systems um, making decisions. It's only one of them because there's deep learning, there's reinforcement learning, there's all kinds of approaches, but uh, um, machine learning helps us reach AI. Uh, that's why many people use them interchangeably. Well, now that you mentioned deep learning, so let's continue on that thread. It's, so what is... Sure. So what is the difference between machine learning and deep learning then? Deep learning is machine learning on steroids. I didn't really define machine learning very well, <laughs> but basically when you look at, at machine learning and you compare it to deep learning, deep learning is using much more sophisticated algorithms. It is using much more data and it's using much more processing power. Uh, we're dealing with complex algorithms when it comes to machine learning. We're dealing with neural networks, which, which is something that's meant to mimic a human brain. Uh, when we're dealing with machine learning, we're talking about much more relatively simple algorithms like uh, K-nearest neighbors or a bag of words. And if anybody looks it up right now on Google, they can figure it out momentarily. When it comes to neural networks, good luck. <laughs> you need to have a very, very good knowledge of math in order to grasp right. it. Um, right. Well, many people call the neural network like this black box that stuff goes in and stuff comes out and nobody knows what happens. <laughs> even, even some of the people like, that created it, right? So this neural network, when we're talking about like billions of parameters, we hear a lot and ChatGPT, uh, GPT-3 has billions of parameters. These are neural networks, right? They have parameters that that, that the AI, the AI <laughs> um, adjusts and comes out with whatever it comes out with. So maybe you can explain the neural network because that's highly intertwined with deep learning, right? Yeah, absolutely. So this type of explanation goes into very technical terms. Um, but if we look at a human brain, I can try to make a nice example out of it. Mm -hmm. So the core components of a neural network are very, very simple algorithms. In the end of the day, they are very basic units of logic. Uh, we're talking about something called perceptrons. We call them nodes very often. And they are so basic that they can only come to two different outcomes. It's either true or false. Zero or one, or in a case of impulses, electrical impulses in a human brain, it's either on or off. Now, these type of, of nodes or perceptrons are equivalent to neurons in a human brain. And as a human brain is a collection of neurons, a neural network is a collection of, of perceptrons or nodes. Now, we are able to reduce all those nodes to simple questions of yes or no. So in the end of the day, we're dealing with a very simple system to grasp uh, if we break it down component by component. Um, and basically, 
when it comes to the process of thought to this black box of a neural network, without getting into technical terms, we can look at the way that humans think. So the way we think is very often our thought comes as a response to an, an input. So we either saw something, we either heard something, we ever either touched something, tasted something, and our thoughts comes as a result of, of this, this type of input. So for example, I went to France, I, I like to use this example. Um, I went to France and I've, I've ordered a snail for the very first time, not this pargo, an actual snail. <laughs> I was sitting down and my mouth received this, this uh, snail input. It processed it. It sent some signals to my brain of how the texture is, how the taste is, how the flavor is. And in my brain, my brain processed this input. And then I came to the conclusion that I don't like snails. Now, in the, in the table next to me, there was a gentleman who ordered the exact same input. He ate it in the exact same way. But his process of thought led him to a completely different conclusion. He really likes snail. So in the end of the day, this is very similar to how neural networks operate or even perceptrons operate, single units of logic. Just because they are exposed to the same input doesn't mean that they result in the same conclusion. And in the end of the day, this, this input, this, this black box is in 100% control of the developer. We get to decide um, how this, this black box looks like. The only thing we don't get to decide is the output. Now, in order to get into this black box, we need to get into technical terms. Um, so basically, this black box, black box consists of something called hidden layers. Mm. Um, this is something that evaluates many different aspects of your input. So it's very easy to, to uh, talk about in, the, in terms of images. So for example, you see an image of a goat and you need to now analyze it. You can look, one layer can look at the colors. Another layer can look at the outlines. A third layer can evaluate the brightness or maybe the, whether it has horns, whether it has legs. Now on its own, just because something has horns doesn't make it a goat. But when you combine all those hidden layers, all those different parameters, the billions of different parameters you mentioned, you can come to a much more definitive conclusion. Um, and it's it's a complex one to explain. I hope I hope right. I was able to uh, explain it properly. No, you did. You did great. No, you did great. Awesome. But one thing that that comes up is that um, you mentioned the human brain and neural networks, right? One of the issues with neural networks today, but I know they're working on this, is that you know, you've got all these perceptons and billions of parameters, what they call them, right? And when you have an input and it goes through all of these and then it, you get an output and that takes time. Our brain, even though we have all of these neurons, doesn't do that. We we have all of these billion parameters, but if I say talk to Maria, I'm using only certain neurons, right, with their connections and just doing that so I can process things much quicker. And I know they're working on that. So. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I know that's something they're trying to work on to speed up these neural networks and maybe explain a little bit better than I did how that works. <laughs> so this type of process involves two different things. The first thing it involves is data, huge amounts of data. And the second thing it involves is processing power. Now, in terms of processing power, we are now capable of producing chips that are very, very small, but are so smart. Back in the day, we needed an entire service uh, server room to, to be able to handle this processing power. Now we can summarize it in a tiny chip. If we look at our phones, our phones are so much more sophisticated than the phones we had previously. And now if you look at the, 
what we usually use in this in this deep learning process is is GPUs, is graphics cards, and the graphics cards that are currently available, the newest generation, the the forty ninety series that Nvidia has. It has billions upon billions of of incredible capabilities that previous technologies never had, and in many cases, people cannot even access those new graphics cards because they're nowhere to be found. Um, they're basically out of stock all the time. Now I'm working with a 3090, but if you compare it to a 4090, it, 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 it's an outdated technology already. So the growth in terms of as soon as the hardware is able to, to keep up with the software, we will see much faster models. And there's all kinds of processes in which you can, can optimize uh, the time it takes uh, it takes your model to make a prediction. A lot of those technologies are based on NVIDIA. Um, there's uh, Torch Tensor RT, which helps you with the inference process, with the, with the prediction process that I've looked into. There's a lot of ways in which you can speed up. And in the end of the day, it depends on the hardware at this point of time. Now, it is known that even changing your hardware is not as effective as changing your algorithms. Now, I think that this is what they're working on, the algorithms themselves. Um, which will be a bit faster um, and will be a bit more efficient. Because even if you buy the fastest of computers and you're trying to run an algorithm that is not not written well, it's not going to help you. Right. You're better off changing and revising your algorithm and then you know running it even on a slower computer that will work probably better. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk about human language and natural language processing. Um, you want to explain that and how does that work into all of this? Because, I mean, that's what made the news, right? Is this natural language in, in November called ChatGPT where you can interact with a computer. So how does that work? Yeah, so natural language processing is a very, very big field that deals with translating human language so that computers can understand it. Now, I can give a very good example because computers and humans perceive language in, in a completely different way. Just like you mentioned before, what to us seems very obvious, what to us seems as very clear and we can reach it like that, to computers, it's very, very challenging. So in the realm of language, we can take the word walking and walks, for example. Now, humans, we know that the meaning is the same. You know, it, it uses maybe slightly different grammar terms, but in the end of the day, if somebody walks or if somebody is walking, to us, it's, it's fine. It's the same thing. To computers, these are completely different words. Now, in order for computers to understand that they are similar, we need to do something called pre-processing. We need to take those two inputs, those this text, and we will need to slightly adapt it in a way that computer can interpret it properly. Now, one way we can do this is, for example, with stemming. We simply take walks and walking, and we turn both of them to walk. It's a simple verb. It doesn't have the ending. And only that way the computer can understand, hey, this is the exact same thing. But this is only the visual aspects. There are also aspects because a computer doesn't know the meaning of the word walks. And this falls into different categories uh, that I'm sure you will bring up in a few minutes. <laughs> the, yeah. the meaning yeah. of words is not is different from whether a word is the same or, or not. Well, the meaning and the intent also. Yes. The in yes, absolutely. Right? The intent of of the word um so so then how so how does so machine learning takes takes over here or deep learning neural networks is what allows this 
because the words are converted into math basically at the end of the day, right? And then there's a prediction. So yes, you can absolutely. explain a little bit more on that, how that works. So in the end of the day, when any type of input, when it comes to text or images or sound or, or whatever it is we're dealing with, we can narrow it down into mathematical input. So for example, each character in a word um, can be, has a specific code that computers use. Uh, we have all kinds of encodings. We have UTF-8. We have we have all kinds of different formats of uh, of 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 taking the characters and and feeding them into a computer. We can do this on a binary level. We can do this on a on a higher level. But in the end of the day, we are taking the text and we are turning it into a a sequence of numbers. Now, this sequence of numbers is being fed into a neural network, and then the neural network reviews many 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 examples. So the whole idea of neural networks is the more examples you expose them to, um, the the better the better understanding they will have. The better, the more accurate they'll be uh, in the end and, of the and, day. And the reason that's happening, which is my next thing, so for people to understand, because it's it's looking for patterns, right? It's trying to recognize Absolutely. patterns, and the more you have, the more patterns it, it can figure out and go, okay, for this pattern, then maybe this is what's going to happen next. You want to explain pattern recognition on that? Yeah. So when it comes to pattern recognition, we very often call it uh, unsupervised learning. It's something that that is a, is a technique uh, that helps our models uh, that helps our models recognize those patterns. So we basically provide them with a database, with a very big database, but we do not provide them labels. So for example, we have a database of ten thousand pictures of cats and dogs. But we don't tell our neural network what is a cat and what is a dog. We let it figure it out all by itself. We expose it to the data and then it separates it into two categories. So it will not know that category zero is a cat and category one is a dog, but it will be able to sort them very likely in a, in a good, uh, in an accurate way. Right, right. Um, and I think this is why, and, and hopefully this gives a good understanding of all these terms and how they interrelate with each other, why certain things happen um, with, uh, like when when uh, ChatGPT or any other um, AI starts hallucinating and they they just see math, they see patterns, but they don't understand meaning and intent, right? So even though they go, that's a cat and that's a dog, they really have no clue what that is. It's just a pattern that, okay, was identified as a cat, right? So maybe explain a little bit about that because there is all of this that people run into and go, well, why is it making stuff up? Well, it has no idea what it's saying or what it's talking about, right? It just knows patterns. Yes. So everything that a piece of AI knows about the world is something that the developer taught it. Now, it takes us a lifetime to come to the conclusions we come to. Um, it takes us a very long time uh, to, to interpret things, especially when you learn a new language and you're trying to understand concepts that are brand new to you. If you grew up in a village in Africa and you come to, to New York, for example, whoa, what am I looking at? This is brand new. So this is very similar to how neural networks operate in the end of the day. It only knows what it knows. And you don't always know the type of the type, the distribution, and the amount of data it was exposed to. So if your neural net, if you're asking a question that your neural network has never seen before, like probably it has never seen this question before, but it's seen some similar questions. 
it's seen some similar examples or it was able to fetch certain words that uh, repeat in your question and it's somebody else's question and it's going to base it on base it on that basically the the answer will come from existing data that it was exposed to just like if you ask me now something about astrophysics or or how to make a rocket and send it to space i will look at you very confused i'll try to make up an answer <laughs> i'll try to make something up but it will be gibberish and so is chat gpt if it doesn't know how to answer something it will try its best but the chances that it will be accurate are zero to none and that's called hallucination, right? That's what they call it in an AI. It's hallucinating when when an AI engine starts hallucinating. So people may start listening to that. But at the end of the day, it's all about predicting what's next for the AI, right? Meaning that I don't know really what I'm talking about. All I know is that if this was said, then maybe this should go next, right? And it keeps doing that forever. And that's where you have... So uh, with with human language, we, we spoke about... Um, understanding it what about how does it generate because there's natural language generation how, how is it generating this stuff so based on all those examples that it was exposed to so for example i like to take a neural network that uh that uh, is designed to write fairy tales so in order to train it we, we expose it to all the fairy tales in the world the brothers Grimm, uh you know alice in wonderland all those lovely books it studies those fairy tales word by word, character by character, sentence by sentence on many different levels. Um, and, and then in the very end, after it's seen examples of thousands of different books, only then, and, and after you optimized it, of course, after you made it, after you adapted your model to better understand the data, which is exactly what we do um, in this black box, uh, we adapt the model to the data after we did it our network will be able to create a story that nobody has ever seen before. But it is not based on some magical powers. It is based on all this data that it was exposed to. Similar to um, to odd authors, regular authors. They read many, many books. It sparked their imagination. They, they learned how to phrase themselves through their lives, right? And then they come up with this new idea. But it is always based on some previous um, examples of some previous inputs. And this is how AI is very similar to us. Yeah, which is really important to understand then then that data, big data, is extremely important to AI. Without all of this big big data, we wouldn't have AI because it requires all of this knowledge to study, right? And now we're starting to see also uh, lawsuits happening because now people are, are trying to figure out the law behind this, right? Are, are these derivatives, are they copying uh, authors, do they even have permissions? Uh, yeah, we don't know any of this stuff because it's so brand new right now. That's what I'm so puzzled about. I would expect that, you know, at least five years ago, we would start uh, thinking about protocols, right? Just like HTTP, just like FTP, just like many existing protocols we are comfortable with in the tech world for many, many years. How come we're not even talking about protocols for AI? How come we're not talking about... about um, some some uh, outcomes that it may have on our society. We rarely have this conversation. We only see it in a form of either people who are extremely scared of it, but don't know why. Okay, they've seen it in science fiction movies. They've seen The Matrix, The Terminator, Prometheus. I'm freaking out. But they don't take the time to actually learn what it's all about. On the other side of things, there's folks who are who are basically advocating to use it with everything and 
instead of learning it too, they're learning how to use tools that use it. So nobody bothers, like I wouldn't say nobody, but not many people bother taking the time and actually learning the processes behind this technology and having the capabilities of making it uh, rather than using it. And I think this is the biggest problem. If more people will learn it, if it will be accessible to more people and it wouldn't look like science fiction because the majority of the existing courses do look like science fiction. The first, the first course I took where I got introduced to Python, I had no clue what I'm doing. I was shooting in the dark. I was able to, to reach something nice, but you know, developers, if you let us do something that we've never done before, we can use Stack Overflow. We can use so many articles to figure it out. You know, we, we will perform the task, but understanding how we performed it. This is what all of those courses are lacking. This basic breakdown into human words, not into mathematical terms, not terms, not into formulas that are highly complex with limits and, and sequences and more letters than, than digits <laughs> in the end of the day. Um, I think that all of those courses are based upon some previous knowledge of, of statistics, math, rather than uh, programming. So if those courses were easier, if this information was more adapted to normal people rather than geniuses, um, I think that we would have this conversation five years ago rather than now. I, I think we'll get there. And I, I know you're passionate about this. So I got to have you back to actually have a long conversation on this. <laughs> So, sure. um, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us back to the terms because otherwise we'll continue this for another hour on yeah. this topic, which I, the philosophy. I have my yeah, exactly. Um, which is important. Which is important. I'm not minimizing it. Um, but you mentioned uh, learning that there's different types of learning, and one of them you mentioned was um, unsupervised. What other types are there? Maybe you can explain a little bit about those. There's a supervised learning, which is the the most common process that we have, and there's reinforcement learning. Now, I like to give a very the example of a parent teaching their child everything they know about the world. And from this example, we can we can go over those uh, models, I think, easily without too many technical terms. Now, when it comes to supervised learning, it's the equivalent of of a parent taking their child to the farm pointing at animals and telling them like, this is a goat, this is a chicken, this is a cow, this is a horse, pointing out and telling the name of the animal. Now, the more examples the kid will be exposed to, the better it will be able to recognize those animals in the future. Now, it may require a few visits to the farm. You may not understand it the first time, but the more you visit the farm, the more animals they, they look at, the better the understanding of what animal is, uh, mm -hmm. the, the better they can differentiate between those animals. Unsupervised learning is the equivalent of taking your kid to the farm and just standing there. Your kid needs to realize that there is animal A, which looks like a chicken, there's animal B that looks like a goat and a cow, you know? So it's a more independent process, but in the end of the day, it is still in full control of the developer, uh, of the parent. <laughs> right. When it comes right. to reinforcement learning, this is where things get a bit more tricky because this is the equivalent of a parent bringing a child to the world giving him the keys of his car, telling him that's the car, that's the kitchen, this is this is the washroom, do your thing, bye-bye. <laughs> then he leaves. <laughs> so reinforcement learning is all about is all about allowing your model to learn on its own. It consists of a system of penalties and rewards. And this is the only thing that uh, the developers basically control in this reinforcement learning path. Everything the model learns about the world 
is based on itself. So for example, you would let this model play a game, but you will not tell the, the rules of the game to your model. It will not know that pressing the right, uh, the right button makes it go right. You wouldn't know um, any of this. The only thing that your model will know is that if the game is over, it gets a penalty. If right. you get to the next level, you get a reward. That's the only thing the model will know. And it tries and, to get uh, more rewards than penalties. That's it. Absolutely. Goal. Absolutely. Yeah. And only based on that, it keeps learning. So, so you basically reward it if it reaches the goal. Right. Yep. Definitely. Okay. Well, we're getting pretty close to the end here. Um, we could go on for another hour, to be honest with you. But um, <laughs> let's end it with uh, one thing we haven't touched too much upon is computer vision, image recognition. Do you want to go through through that and how is that it or is it different like you know I, where, where people know about uh image recognition and image generation is through like mid-journey dolly and some of the others stable diffusion that we have for image but you also have computer vision um explain some of what that is so computer vision is a very large umbrella so is uh, nlp it's it combines many different uh, types of models and many different uh, tasks that it can do it basically deals with the ability of a computer to interpret visual input. So whether it's videos, whether it's images, uh, they both fall into this category. Um, so for us humans, vision is very simple. When I look at you, Marcelo, I know that you're Marcelo. I don't need to think twice about it, okay? For a computer, it's much more difficult because even if we take the exact same image, but we change the brightness of this image, or maybe we rotate it only one degree to the right, or maybe we crop it only five pixels to a computer. We're talking about four different images because computers, when they perceive images or videos, they perceive a collection of pixels. Now each pixel, I don't know why I'm doing this movement, but each <laughs> pixel uh, represents the color intensity of this particular part of the image. And since, and this is how it turns into math, by the way, but once we do those slight changes to the image, it turns to a completely different image. So the only way to solve this problem, the only way to, to teach a computer that images are similar is to, show, is to show it many, many, many examples. That's where the big data comes in. This is where the and, training data. And it's data. getting pattern. It's, getting, it's looking for patterns. Then. We're back Absolutely. to recognition. So it seems like throughout the AI spectrum, pattern recognition, at least today, is extremely important for everything. Yes. And for us humans too, right? We also recognize right. patterns. That's what makes us good at programming, at development, at maybe at marketing, you know, many different fields. It gives us the upper hand in the end of the day. And um, again, they just mimic what we do. If we think about what we do, we can take it to the realm of AI and we can find examples in that way. Yeah, definitely. So why don't we close it up with image generation? So how does, let's just, um, you know, with stable diffusion, Dolly, where people are generating all these kinds of images, what's the technology behind that? How is that working at a high level? So each image, each sample and example goes through a series of filters. This is what happens in those hidden layers we talked about earlier. So one filter can detect edges. Yeah, one, um, one layer can detect edges, another layer can detect colors, a third layer can detect, detect certain elements within the image, certain objects, certain entities, um, and each and every layer has its own, has its own job. Now, based on, based on those layers, you then come up with a new output. So for example, we can take, uh, 
Actually, I sent you a good example of it the other day. It was an image of the Mona Lisa that was combined with an image of Starry mm-hmm. Night. So we basically took the entire, the outlines of the Mona Lisa and we applied this, the, the style, the, the brush strokes and the colors that you've seen in Starry Night. And this how we came up with a completely different image that the world has never seen because those two artists, they were never in the same room. <laughs> and yet we were able to create something completely different. Now, this brings us also to deep fakes, right? We would take a face of somebody that talks and then we, mm-hmm. we layer a completely different face on top of them. And this is something that, that improves by the day. And even now, it is very, very hard to detect what is deep fake and what is an actual yeah. video. Yeah, definitely. And that's the, that's the one that kind of, I'm so impressed on, but also scares me. Because yeah. I always, and we'll, we'll, we'll end it with this because we're way, way over, but it's okay. We're not, <laughs> we're not network TV. No, not you. It's, it's a great conversation. We're not network television, so it's all right. But uh, when I was a kid, if you heard it or you saw it, it was the truth. If you saw it in a video or you heard it in an audio, you knew it was the truth. There was no other way of creating that. That's gone today. That's completely yeah. gone today. You don't know if it's That's true. why I was drawn to graphic design. That's why I get so excited about it. What? I can get rid of wrinkles? <laughs> <laughs> I can do all those things all by myself? Sign me in. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. It's well, graphic hey, design on uh, steroids. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. So, Maria, thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. This was a great conversation. And you've got a, an excellent way of, of uh, explaining simplifying. You should do an AI simplified. Um, YouTube channel. You have an excellent way of explaining things. So normal people can, normal like me, not super technical and smart people can understand it. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, this was fun. I want, I want to have you back and talk about, you know, all the other stuff, the philosophy uh, behind all of this. But if people want to get all of you, obviously they should, they should go check out Python Simplified on YouTube. Very simple at Python Simplified. But any, anything else you want to share or is that pretty much the best? Um, it's a great way of contacting me. That's for sure. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at Maria Shah 888. I'm also on GitHub at Maria Shah. What else do I have? <laughs> I'm not on a lot of social media. I think we put all of it on your, on your landing page too. So LinkedIn. 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 I'm Maria Shah 888, I believe. So please get in touch with me if you're interested in learning about AI um, and other cool Python stuff. I do have an AI simplified playlist. It's not a channel. My channel was supposed to be called Go AI at first, but then I decided that, okay, we're going to change the name to something a bit more, um, a bit less niche. <laughs> we'll focus <Maybe>. on Python. <laughs> Maybe it's time to rebrand. Who knows? Maybe, for sure, for sure. Um, and yeah, it was very fun for me too. I really enjoyed it, having this conversation with you, Marcelo. And please invite yeah, me more. Here. I'll come. Yeah, definitely. I'll have you back. All right, Maria, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And thanks to the rest of you. I hope you enjoyed uh, this episode of the Upgrade Your Skills with AI podcast. And remember to go check out creativespark.ai for more episodes and shows. Focus on helping you how to use AI so you can be more productive, creative, and technical. Finally, as always, get a hold of me, Marcelo at creativespark.ai. So we'll see you on the next episode. Cheers. (laughs) 